This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Scott Chrisman. Scott is a professional skier turned influencer and entrepreneur who is building a media and marketing empire. He works with top performers like former Navy SEALs and NFL athletes, businesses of all sizes and entrepreneurs to build their audience, drive engagement, increase conversions, and ultimately create sales. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm stoked to be here. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are now? Totally. So as you just heard, uh, I used to be a professional skier and that started at a really young age for me. Um, I first got sponsored at the age of 12 and um, I was ranked in the top three in the nation for my age um, when I was 14, 15, 16. Um, and I had a, I showed a lot of promise and everyone kept telling me, um, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to make it to the U S ski team. And so I was stoked, thought I was doing everything right. Started getting a little bit older and I stopped putting on weight and, and weight and strength is really important for all athletics. But, um, you know, so with skiing, um, I just stopped being as fast and I started to get into drugs and alcohol and all my self-worth was caught up in this idea. Like I was so young. So all my self-worth was caught up in this idea of everyone validating me through being good at skiing. And I didn't know how to be my, I didn't know how to be a real person. I was just a skier or like basically a circus animal, uh, do the tricks, get the rewards, you know? And so then went off on a little, you know, spiritual journey of, of finding um, chemicals and, and all sorts of stuff there. Came back, went to college, realized that wasn't for me. Um, I was studying philosophy and just, it just wasn't, wasn't for me. So I dropped out and started chasing the free skiing world tour, ended up being ranked in the top um, 30 for in the world for big mountain skiing for a little bit. Um, kind of a little redemption story and I started to get injured, broke my back, tore my ACL, just kind of this crazy series of events, uh, lost one of my best friends and then got in trouble with the law. And that's when I kind of completely decided to change it around, quit drinking alcohol four years ago, uh, four years and two days ago. So that was uh, a big move for me. And then in that time started three different companies, um, two of them, one of them failed, one of them I stopped doing, and now I run the media house and we do consulting for corporations. I write for Entrepreneur, Forbes Middle East, Thrive Global, um, just pitched a couple other publications. So yeah, that's like a, a basic outline of, of everything, highs, lows, highs, lows, highs. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. And it's kind of tough when you get into something young. And like you said, your identity is defined by that thing in terms of a profession or constant training. Now with with other careers and, and people that actually do something. So like I know chefs oftentimes hate to come home and cook. 
So in terms of your skiing, do you still, you know, ski recreationally or for fun? Or are you just like, you know, disconnect? I love it. Um, I don't necessarily like, well, I like teaching if the right incentives are involved. Um, but I, I don't really like teaching. Um, if I'm like really, really honest, uh, I love skiing, but I still end up the mindset of like push it, charge, like go hard is still so ingrained in me that I do still have a tendency to push my limits a little bit and I'm not in the gym as much anymore. So I have to be very cognizant of that mindset because it's so cued in that when I'm on the hill, I'm going 110%. So it has to be very conscious to like rein it back in. But I do still find a lot of enjoyment. I was a sushi chef for a little bit in Crested Butte, like complimentary um, careers because skiing is not always the most lucrative. You get to travel a lot and get a lot of free gear and stuff like that. Um, Photo shoots, really cool, fun stuff, but uh, the money isn't always there. So I totally know that you get home and you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to (laughs) cook. But I feel, I feel that passion still. So. And in terms of kind of media and marketing, how did you end up stumbling into that? Totally. So I never really realized that I was kind of like a micro influencer at a young age. I was a brand representative and I didn't really like, I knew it all along, but then I didn't really realize that I was working with these brands. I was working with reps to help bring their product to the market. And um, when I re-entered the scene after the whole kind of college and, and drugs and alcohol party phase, I realized that social media was a huge asset and I was starting to get cued into the attention economy and realizing that when you can uh, have someone's attention and and use that to drive it towards a product or service that you can become an asset to the brand. So I started building my social media presence. I built an Instagram. At one point, I think I had 17,000 followers. I think I'm down to like 13 and a half because I haven't posted in two years. And I'm just like, uh, I have like on occasion, but Instagram for me was not, um, it's just no longer as fun for me to be a part of. And it was, uh, I was so wrapped. I got wrapped up in the external validation thing again. I was like, all the likes, 3,000 likes, everything. And then I got shadow banned and that I realized how much self-worth was wrapped up in it. But anyways, that's maybe a different story. But Instagram uh, was my first real cue into um, marketing and media. And I've been, you know, like I'd skied on what MSNBC and like some of these live broadcast um, shows But I started to realize like, you know, video, pictures, telling stories, that kind of thing is how you drive engagement. Um, And so I kind of wholeheartedly started to dive into that to be an asset. Yeah, I mean, content in general is important and different content types because you can connect differently, obviously. For me, audio is superior and in terms of kind of the podcast format, because audio is the only thing that you can really multitask with. Everybody that says they can multitask with some something else, like you can't watch something or look at a picture or read while you're driving. I mean, you can, but I mean, that's frowned upon and you won't obviously go the way it usually you want it to go. But with audio, I mean, you can shower, you can work out, you can 
be working and listening. So I think it's a superior way to consume information. It's important to present information in different formats. So they're consumable at different times, obviously different parts of the uh, conversion funnel. And I think it's important. I think a lot of people don't necessarily use social to their potential because a lot of people, you know, this is evil or this is, you know, it gives you that dopamine hit. It's, you know, addictive. But I mean, I've seen it implemented for good and charitable things. Um, I mean, I'm I'm active on social media, but like it, some of my content is so I'm a foster parent. So like, let's say TikTok, a lot of my content is all foster related. Things I go through with my wife, things I see that I can improve in the foster care system. And I see other people just utilizing in that sense. I actually stumbled upon an account about a day ago. It's a guy in Central America. He, you know, I think he's part of a church or a ministry. He lives down there and he has a Venmo. People directly Venmo him money and he just does social good. You know, this person is losing their house. He just gets a bunch of people together, like builds them a new house or just pays the rent off for months and months. This person needs a chicken coop. You know, here's a hundred chickens in a chicken coop. So you have the ability to do a lot of good directly bypass you know, large gatekeepers, traditional gatekeepers in terms of charitable organizations, in terms of media, because before, if you wanted to be seen, there was a door to knock on. Now there is no door. You're your own kind of media agency in that sense as well. And a lot of bigger accounts. So I see a lot of celebrities, athletes, they don't necessarily post at all. They can be posting. Okay. They don't have to sell something, but in terms of doing social good and showing who they really are and authenticity, that can go a long way. Totally. No, whole, I wholeheartedly agree. And I feel like we're in this, uh, we're in a, uh, the era of democratization. So we're gaining access to all of these different things all at once. We're gaining access to being our own media sources. We're gaining access to technology that allows us to communicate. We're gaining access to micro uh, or, you know, computers in our, uh, you know, in our pockets and, and all of these wonderful technological advancements are being democratized. So anyone can have it. And I think one of the things that I've always viewed is like money is neutral. It's what you do with it that makes it good or evil. Same thing with attention, right? And so when I was, when I broke my back, I remember, um, you care if I tell a quick story? It might take like five minutes or so. No, it's all good. Wherever the conversation goes. Cool. So yeah, so I was, it was 2016. Um, I was having a pretty good season. I had gotten some new sponsors um, and I was just like feeling really confident on my skis and overall just like feeling um, a lot of momentum. And I was posting on Instagram on the way up. I was in between jobs and um, I forgot to put my helmet on. I was in my backpack. I had brought it with me and I got caught up in posting on Instagram, trying to tell a story <laughs> on the chairlift and whatever. And like uh, was posting and like press post right before I got off the lift, put my gloves on, um, had my goggles and, and a hat on and skied off and skied down did a backflip off this jump that I had crashed on earlier and stomped it. So I gained a lot of confidence and I was really excited and I'm skiing down and I hit this other, this next jump. And when I land, it's probably like, I don't know, 40 feet out and 30 feet down, pretty big jump, you know? Uh, and I land and my skis sink in a lot more than I think. And so the top layer of snow was 
different in that little section than it was above and it broke my ski. So I go tomahawking, meaning like cartwheeling, hand, uh, head over heels. And all I can think of is not my head, not my head, not my head, right? Because my helmet is in my backpack. And I'm like, oh, man, like this could be the end. I'm going probably 30 miles an hour. And I know that there's this line of trees at the bottom. And I'm just like, not my head, not my head, not my head. Like there's no way I'm not going to hit a tree. Just not my head. <laughs> like I'll hit a tree wherever. Like could be my femur. I don't care. And I end up smacking the tree um, it, right where my helmet is in my backpack. And I get spun around and I'm laying underneath the tree. And like before I really kind of even come to and like check my body and everything, I'm like trying to calculate everything that had just happened. And I'm like, okay, like upstream, upstream, up, upstream, like the confidence was maybe a little too high, like little distraction, didn't warm up never put my helmet on Instagram was distracting me like oh man like all these things that didn't really I'm like I should probably I should know better right um but then I'm thinking about it and I'm like well actually social media kind of saved my life because <laughs> if this was different like and I did put my helmet on and I hit my back on the tree at that speed probably would have been completely different and so I had this big realization. I'm like, you're pursuing all this attention for you to feel worthy and for you to feel like you're enough. And it's like, Scott, you're enough. You need to use this attention for good to do other things and like stop being an attention whore or like an attention black hole and just wanting all the likes and showing off how you can jump off things, but actually do something for good with it. Tell your stories, tell people the struggles that you're going through, find ways to relate to people and create relationships because relationships are all about relating. So, um, I, I had this huge realization and that was kind of from there forward was when I really started to pursue really the, the intention of using in uh, attention for good. So, yeah. And I mean, if you look at social media, using it for the right reasons and also it's not an accurate lens into somebody's life. I mean, it's a filter. Oftentimes the things you see are either rented or a set. So, I mean, when you're kind of thinking about or trying to imitate someone else or somebody is your idol or your hero, most likely than not, they're dealing with similar situations in their personal lives. They, you know, experience similar things. And a lot of the things that you're seeing Number one, it's not necessarily going to bring happiness. It may for a short term, but eventually it may fade away. And two, it's an innate, it's a highlight reel of your life, basically. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. And it can be, you know, it can be like you said, said you can uh, create a highlight reel that's highlighting all of the good that's happening in the world. Or you can create a highlight reel of this is my six pack and my ass or whatever. And, you know, this, these are the luxury cars and that's a choice. And I don't care which way you, you go, but my choice is to go in a certain direction because I think telling my story, encouraging people to get out in nature, encouraging people to just understand that like they have the capacity to do it. Like I write for entrepreneur and just got my article shared to their audience, their email list of um, like millions of people. And four years ago, I never would have thought that that was possible. I was just quitting drinking, had never run a business in my life. And it's like, yeah, um, it's so easy to get caught up in just the, uh, 
the idea to overshadow your own expertise or your own light just because you're like you're also like oh i like social media is bad or it is this thing that's this evil monster and there is a social dilemma there's a lot to do with data and tracking and 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 segmentation of groups and echo chambers and groupthink and all these psychological things that happen but we can also use that from a neutral aspect and create positive outcomes if we know that that's what's happening, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So what motivates you to succeed? Obviously, those motivations may have changed over time, but what currently motivates you to succeed? Putting in the work, putting putting in and shipping the work, which uh, is really like for me, I get a great amount of satisfaction from creating content and putting it out there. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, but I just listened to a Tim Ferriss podcast with Seth Godin. Seth Godin's one of my heroes in the marketing world. He's done it for a long time and he's really good about what he calls shipping the work. So as long as the work meets spec, which just means that it, it, you know, sits, fits a certain set of conditions then he'll put it out to the world and uh, becoming obsessed with the process instead of the outcome has given me so much motivation because it's conversations like these. I never know what's going to happen. I never know, you know, what's going to be created from the content, but I find myself being an, I, I realized that I was an artist, right. As COVID was hitting and I'm like, I'm more love the process of creation than anything else. And so while the outcome's awesome and I could learn to celebrate it more, maybe for me, the process is what I've become obsessed with. And that's what's allowed me, like I wrote that article for entrepreneur in like two hours, start to finish and pressed submit. And it got edited and published within like 72 hours. And then got shared to millions of people. And did I ever expect that to happen? No, but it just, wrote the article, it fits spec, press submit, didn't over obsess about it. And it went and that I've been such a perfectionist and that's hindered my motivation because I've put breaks on everything. So getting obsessed with the process is now what motivates me because if I put the motivation anywhere in the future, then it can come back to bite me. So that's yeah. Process. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, a lot of people are perfectionists and that perfection stops them from actually getting something in the market, either a product or strategy or starting a company or what have you. And what you really need with something that may need proof of concept or just obviously content you're putting out is for it to go out and get feedback, data, you know, insights, and then figure out, okay, is this connecting? What can I give more of value? I mean, I sometimes do like these, like I said, for TikTok, 60, 60 second clips, like literally on my little background, my little set at home about like, okay, I experienced this with my four foster kids or this is what I'm feeling. When I put out, like you said, I, you know, I pressed that it, it took me like 30 seconds to edit in terms of putting a headline in it. You know, I, I, I open it up like the next day, there's like a hundred thousand views and 5,000 likes. So it's like one of those things, you never know how a piece of content will connect or the impact something will have unless you put it out there. I'm sorry, my internet, they're working on it. So you cut out, but yeah, you never know how they're going to connect or how the audience is going to respond or 
you know, what, what bridge is going to be created. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I love the Tim Ferriss show. That's one of the only podcasts that I spent a lot of time listening to just because he gets amazing guests and everything. And he was talking about childhood trauma and being sexually abused as a young child and, and what that did for him, um, unconsciously, subconsciously, what he was reacting to out of that. And, um, Debbie Millman facilitated that interview and she's been very integral in designing a lot of large brands. Um, you know, she's like a mogul, uh, in that aspect. And, um, she was saying she had experienced it too. And she was saying how she thought that she was alone and she experienced it, you know, years ago when social media wasn't as prevalent, but you never know who feels like they're alone in their experience. And when you put it out there, you give them kind of like a lighthouse, a signal, a beacon of hope of like, Oh my, there's someone else out there that's experiencing it. And it could be from a parental experience of foster, or it could be from the foster experience and it recontextualizes what it is to be a foster father or a foster mother. You know, there's so many different ways that those orientations perspectives can, you know, relate or create relationships. Yeah. Create relationships. And no, I think that's one of the most powerful things about social media and, and the attention economy when you're not doing it for attention. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, oh, Seth Godin, I think before COVID, I think a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to take somebody's place at this random, like intimate, like hundred person talk thing. And I, I went to see him, I think like he has a lot of knowledge and a lot of like genuine expertise. And I think you can do anything regardless of where you're at and, and achieve it as long as you put the work in or people that don't know, okay, I want to have more interview opportunities, but you know, how are you representing yourself out there? What are you doing to find them? I mean, I guess in the last year and a half, I've been on about 90 shows or so and media appearances and different things, different aspects of myself, not necessarily just digital marketing. So being a first generation immigrant, going through, you know, miscarriages with my wife, the, you know, foster care journey, uh, coming from a communist country. So like, there's, there's a lot of layers to you as a human being, how are you going to show it? And how are you going to demonstrate like who you are and what your, you know, human side is because anybody can go on a show, you know, a media outlet and pitch something, a product or service, you know, take this, hire my company, but who you, who are you who are you in terms of a leader, your values of that company? And if you show that, you have a better chance of connecting with the client base that can resonate with that or may have experienced the same exact thing and you already have that connection there. And it's a genuine connection. It's not like you're doing it to sell or promote something. You're doing it to put your message out there. Yeah, totally. And you see so many CEOs of large brands starting to uh, create their own personal brand as well. And you know, it doesn't matter who, who you are, it, it's so important to, I feel like, uh, understand and recognize the many facets of your personality. Like Gary Vee, I think is really good at that, where he recognizes empathy, but also some of the analytical money driven side. He, uh, recognizes that he loves baseball cards and like flipping from garage sales, but he also recognizes that he loves like, uh, high fashion or, you know, like certain high fashion, 
uh, maybe it's not high fashion, but like luxury things and luxury experiences. That's what I should say. Um, and so recognizing all facets of your personality, I think is really important because the business world or the corporate world or capitalism does try and stifle and, and kind of strip away any of the personality and go straight to numbers and analytics. And so it's like your elevator pitches, I do this for this, for this or whatever, you know? And I think, um, you can get caught up in that. And so recognizing, you know, like you said, uh, you've been on, you know, features for all sorts of different things and yeah, shining that light on, I think is really important. And it multi, uh, it creates those facets of the diamond, right? It allows people to see those different facets and reflect themselves back when they see, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, and being as authentic, raw and real as possible. Granted, there are some like subjects about a person. And I respect that if somebody comes on and doesn't want to talk about a specific thing. But I mean, I own everything good or bad that's happened to me or I've experienced. And like you said earlier, I think it, it wouldn't be uh, fair for me not to share it because there's probably somebody that went through something like that and think they're the only person or are going through it now that that conversation or that segment may help them get through it. Yeah, totally. I remember the first time I was, uh, it was probably like six months after launching my podcast and I was just sending out messages to people on Instagram that follow the podcast. Like, Hey, is there anything I can do better with the podcast or whatever? I got this long message back from someone I didn't know. They had just followed me and they're like, I don't know where I heard your story first or anything, but like you inspired me to quit doing heroin. And I'm like sure that I saved my life by the decisions that I made. And I wouldn't have done it without hearing your story. And I was just like, what the heck like such a powerful experience and i never that's not what i was going for right i'm just like really at that point i think i was trying to process a lot of shame and maybe doing it on air in certain aspects but you know it was like i i was talking i was being uh, real and vulnerable and not oversharing but like yeah processing and talking about it and apparently it impacted someone in a massive way and that's really you know the democratization of connection our ability to connect like we're doing right now that's kind of the gift of technology in our age and i think you know when we can utilize that we can really recognize how not alone we are so many of us feel so alone but really, you know, I think that's one of the best things we can do is realize that we're not alone, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I mean, with, with other content types, you're kind of, you know, showing certain parts of you or the brand, but you know, with this, it's like one of those things, if I met you somewhere, it'd be a top level conversation. We wouldn't be jumping into this right away, regardless if, you know, we talk maybe for an hour or two, I mean, maybe, but you know, rarely you're, you're going about your day. Hey, what's up? You know, what do you do? Uh, let's connect or we may or may not connect. And then it might be top level, like talking about business or marketing or whatever. But like some of the stuff you mentioned already on this interview, I may never find out about you if I met you at like a marketing or, or a networking thing. So I think getting into a conversation like deeply, I think that's one of the strengths of, of podcasts and kind of, you know, podcasting as a platform. 100%. I'm a huge advocate for podcasting. And for me, it was one of the best things I ever did was start a podcast. I got to interview um, Olympic medalists, X Games medalists, like my idols in skiing that I, you know, 
eventually was like as good as a lot of them, but, um, yeah, I got to interview a lot of them and that was one of the coolest things ever because like, uh, you never realize how other people see you. And especially when someone like that sees you as an equal or sees you as, you know, just another person, it, uh, changes some, it changed something inside for me. And, and so, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with podcasting with the experiences that you you get and also like you said the the um ability to multitask right is like i i've written i've uh read books while riding my bike in the gym but that's about the only other form of like inputting information and multitasking that's really feasible beyond that i'm like i don't know (laughs) so yeah yeah, great. So what's one thing that you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? Totally. Um, so this is this will be a vulnerability that I haven't necessarily talked about um, much. I've talked about it some, but I used to deal with a lot of anger. And anger for me was a defense mechanism. It was something that I, um, I didn't realize was a defense mechanism. It would just show up and I would get overwhelmed and I really didn't have many options. Right. I'm like, um, (laughs) uh, yeah, I, I was either running away or getting really angry and acting in a way that, I was shameful and felt really guilty and didn't want to face myself after being that angry. Um, And I have learned to use the small cues of anger to realize that I'm overwhelmed and afraid and identified that fear. And oftentimes this is, I don't know, the men in the audience might be like, this was Uh, oftentimes my anger will go to sadness now and I'll go to grief, which is really, I think one of the roots of anger and and fear, um, is sadness and grief. And so I will, uh, recognize that I am out of control of a situation. And instead of getting angry and trying to just like hyper control it, I'll get sad that I can't control it, recognize that and, and move past it. And I used to get in my way so much with skiing, forming relationships, networking, you name it. I took things way personally. I would lash out at people because I like, I just was in this really weird emotional space that wasn't healthy and good. And once I could recognize from anger back to fear and then back to sadness, that was one of the biggest things that completely changed my life and put me in control of, of my direction. So that may, may help people may not. Yeah, I think a lot of people deal with anger and that's rooted in different things. I think a large part of my life, I was very angry uh, based on childhood experiences. So seeing domestic abuse, you know, my my dad to my mom, my dad to other family members, uh, him technically not. I mean, being around, but like it takes more to be a father than just to be present. You know what I mean? So stuff like that. So then I was angry and kind of like resentful for a while, like growing up, not necessarily having him as a male role model. My grandfather, you know, stepped in in terms of me seeing him in that fashion, but like holding it in and then it imploding. And then at times when you get 
I mean, a lot of people understand like that may have have had anger issues. You pass a point where it's clouded and then you like diffuse and then there's like bodies in your wake that you have to go and clean up. So it's really tough to get through and like you have to channel it. I mean, personally, I pray about it, try to kind of diffuse it. And I mean, if you've experienced anger from, you know, if you're, you know, a man, a woman, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of hard to overcome. Totally. Yeah. No, it was really hard. It was really hard for me to get control of that and realize like that. Yeah. To cut myself off before I was getting there. And I do think, you know, it comes from so many different places and, um, it, yeah, it's just one of those things that for me, once I could get in control of those reactions and be very proactive in like, Oh, that's a feeling I'm supposed to do something with that feeling. There's information here. And when my, you know, stomach starts giving me information, my chest starts getting tight. I start feeling like my hands are sweaty or whatever. I'll start putting boundaries up and I'll start walking away a lot quicker and I'll, I'll articulate my feelings in different ways and I'll go manage things in a healthy way. And, you know, for me, that was really, really hard. And for some people, you know, my, my mom does not get angry. And that one is like, uh, I wish she gave me that gene, right? Like (laughs) she's a saint. I think I've seen her angry like three times in my life. Maybe more than that, but, um, it, man, it took me the longest time to get over anger. And that was really one of the biggest things I was holding back everywhere. So. Yeah. And I think once you come to terms with whatever that is for you, you know, what's keeping you from your full potential, you know, things that you hold on to from the past, things you've experienced that may, may have taken away your self-worth or who you truly are kind of destined to be. Once you learn to channel it and overcome it, you can really like see a lot clearly and see more of the vision that you're kind of, you know, directed to or, you know, towards your goals or something better, you know, in the future. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest things these days is to get honest feedback and honest perspective from other people that's not deflected or clouded as well. Um, and also to be, uh, willing and vulnerable to receive honest feedback and then contextualize what, where your weaknesses are too, because for the longest time I would have been like, I don't have a fucking anger problem. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Because, but, uh, like I would have just thrown it right back in people's faces and been angry about it while they told me about it. Right. Um, so it took me, it, you know, it took me a minute to realize like, Oh, I'm very blind to that thing over there and it's hurting me. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of like Gary Vee says, self-awareness is one of the best things that you can have. And, and when you can remove those obstacles, I, I like how you said self-worth as well. Cause for me, it was a lot of shame and guilt for like turning to drugs the first time and everything. And then like wanting to go back to skiing and then injuring myself again, I was just dealing with all this, like I should have like pointing to the past. I should have done that. I should have been able to do that. And my self-worth was wrapped up in things I couldn't change in the past. And I'm like, once I realized that everything also, a lot of the anger went away too. Cause the anger was that I couldn't control the shit in the past that I was shaming myself about. So. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that in life isn't easy. And when you come to the realization, some people don't, I mean, some people it's kind of one of those things that they, 
carry around for the rest of their life and you know it impacts relationships and pushes people away and you know they lose opportunities in terms of you know jobs or business relationships and you know if you can like let go and be vulnerable and come to a place where like you know I need help or I have to figure something out to to get past this and try to you know not necessarily even get past it because it's something that's with you I mean if you have a negative experience it's like a scar I mean that scar is always there but you can live with I mean it heals somewhat like the the whatever the broken bone I broke uh, my wrist okay so I can't bend it the same way I know it's you know I broke it but it you know I can live with it so it's one of those things like coming to terms with it figuring out channeling it so you become like not affected or bound by it yeah totally and that's kind of one of those things it's not that i the triggers are still there i just recognize them way sooner and to make different choices i know i'm still fully capable of all of that it's not like i'm some saint who went and meditated for you know three years and decided i'm not i'm just never gonna be angry again i yeah now i just have better barriers in place uh that direct me um as those signals come up, as that information comes up for sure. And it is a process, right? And you got to reward yourself through the process when you do go through those situations and you're like, I didn't yell or whatever. <laughs> like, uh, for me, you know, I really have to actually recognize myself because like I said, I'm so process oriented. Sometimes I don't see the fruits of the labor as like that cool. So um, yeah, that's another thing. For me, it was like uh, giving myself positive affirmation for the things that I used to just be like, oh, you should just be able to not be angry. What's one piece of advice you can leave with the audience, personal or professional? Do the work and find gratitude. So like wake up every day and, and put your foot forward. If you're in a position to do anything, uh, in the world, show up fully. Um, so that, like, that's what I mean by do the work is like, if you are, I'm thinking about my girlfriend right now, who's a physical therapist at a hospital and she shows up and is a patient advocate every single day. She does the work. Um, so whatever, whatever it is that you do, do the work and do it well. Um, or at least to spec, um, good enough so that it can ship. And, uh, the other thing would be, uh, just like personally gratitude is so important. Um, and for me, it was really hard for the longest time to actually truly feel gratitude. I knew that I should, when I would write it down, I have journals full of shit that I wrote down that I was supposed to be grateful for, but didn't feel it like, um, pages and pages of it. Uh, gratitude found me when I stopped trying to chase it. So, um, when I got lost in the process, I found gratitude. And so if you're looking for me, when I was looking too hard for gratitude or forcing gratitude, it was awkward and didn't fit when I got lost in the process and found enjoyment in it. Gratitude was right there next to it. Tangible. Yeah, I think doing your best and taking the time or initiative to actually do something because there's a lot of people that go through 20, 30, 40 years down the line and then they wake up, they're 60, 70, and had this great idea, never you know, did anything with it, are living with that guilt and regret. What if? A lot of what if. So if you don't try it, if you don't do it, you know, you're always going to have a what if. And in terms of that gratitude, 
for me, that constantly has to get recalibrated because oftentimes you get caught up in your life. Sometimes you get that, you know, ego or like I've accomplished all this and, you know, look at me now and staying as grounded as possible will help you with whatever you're going through and help you in your business. I mean, for me personally, you know, a lot of Americans aren't truly grateful for what they have in America. Just basic things, running water, uh, food on the table, a shelter, you know, traveling, traveling a lot, coming from the former Soviet Union where you would have to, you know, I was born in 84. So it was when I came to the U.S., it was 1990. So I was there for about four and a half years before we came over. So even remembering like standing in bread lines with my mom for like four or five hours, hot water being shut off at night. So like you have all these liberties that you, you, you don't consider at all here that, you know, people are just wishing to have across the world, even today. So it's just like really thinking about it. I think travel for me really opened up my eyes. And when I go away, it makes me more grateful for the things I have and just, you know, the, the freeness of what we have in the United States. Yeah, definitely. No, I feel like, um, yeah, we aren't grateful. And like you said, ego, I honestly think that ego is the, it gets, it's the biggest thing that gets in the way of everyone's forward progress. And it's the thing that tells you that you're not good enough or the thing that tells you that you're too good to engage in right now, right? It's the thing that tells you that you are not good enough to show up for the work or too good to show up for the work. And it's the thing that shields, uh, is the number one thing that I look for in people that I work for or work with is if they, value themselves without being egotistical. If they can understand and quantify the value that they bring to the table without having to project or take any self-worth from, uh, from me in that situation, then I can work with them. If they can say, this is who I am, this is what I can do. And, uh, you know, can we work together? Ask that question, right? That's the type of people that I want to work with, but yeah. Ego is just, it's the thing that makes you not do the work, you know? Yeah, great. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Yeah, totally. So I'm not really on Instagram much anymore, but scott.j, scott's called one t.j.chrisman or Facebook, Scott with one t, Chrisman, C H R I S M A N. Or you can email me, scott at themediahouse.co or my website, we've got some digital marketing tools that we uh, give for free if you give us your email, but I prefer in-person connection. If you wanna get the digital marketing tools, go for it, but hit me up, say what's up, have a conversation, get to know me a little bit, that's what I'd prefer. Awesome, thanks again for stopping by. You bet, thank you so much for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.